Hi, Matt here, not Adam, letting you know that not only is this episode certified grim for adult themes and may not be suitable for all listeners, but this particular Brothers Grimm story is anti-Semitic. It was always going to happen, um, but we've decided to tackle it, so we're going to read this anti-Semitic Brothers Grimm story. So either head on in, we will be looking at anti-Semitism in the Grimm's after the story and uh, contextualising it, uh, which is hopefully interesting. Uh, otherwise, sit this one out and we'll be back to our uh, regular fun in the next episode. Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading... The Good Bargain. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a... Grim Reading. There was once a peasant who had driven his cow to the fair and sold her for seven talers. On the way home, he had to pass a pond, and already from afar he heard the frogs crying... Ache, 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 ache. Well, said he to himself, they are talking without rhyme or reason. It is seven that I've received, not eight. Wait, what were they saying? Ache. Eight, 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 eight. Eight, eight, eight. Matt, Matt, And he said, no, I've got seven, not eight, stupid frogs. I'm already lost. When he got to the water, he cried to them, stupid animals that you are, don't you know better than that? It is seven talers, not eight. The frogs, however, stood to there. Eight, 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 eight. Come then. If you won't believe it, I can count it out to you. And he took his money out of his pocket and counted out the seven talers, always reckoning 24 groschen to a taler. The frogs, however, paid no attention to his reckoning, but still cried, eight, 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 eight. <laughs> Matt, Matt, yeah. what's happening? There's a man talking to frogs. <laughs> Why is he counting out his money to frogs? Uh, to what? Well, exactly. What? cried the peasant, quite angry. Since you were determined to know better than I, count it out yourselves. And he threw all the money into the water to them. That you, was smart. Do you see what's going on? I see. Uh, he's, he's lost the plot and he's <laughs> so angry that the frogs won't, <laughs> are not getting with the programme. He's chucked all his money. And told them to count the it pot. themselves. Yeah. Which they're not going to do because they're frogs. So he's throwing the money into the water at the frogs. Yeah, And smart. He, he stood still and he waited until they were done and had brought it out to him again. But the frogs maintained their opinion and cried continually, eight, 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 eight. And besides that, did not throw the money out again. He still waited a long while until evening came and he was forced to go home. Then he abused the frogs and cried, you water splashers, you thickheads, you goggle eyes, you have great mouths and you can screech till you hurt one's ears, but you cannot count seven talers. Do you think I'm going to stand here till you get done? And with that, he went away. But the frog still cried, right, 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 after him until he went home quite angry. The end. No, no it's not, <laughs> if, is I, it? if only it were if the end. After a while, he brought another cow, which he killed. And he made the calculation that if he sold the meat well, he might gain as much as the two cows were worth and still have the hide into the bargain. 
So he's, he's got a new cow, he's killed. He's like, I can still, you know, I'm going to cut my losses and I can still make a profit here. I don't, I genuinely don't understand. Okay. <laughs> what, <laughs> did you just say, did you just say, yeah. he's worked it all out. He's done his calculations. And by selling the second cow, he'll yeah. get as much as he would for both of the cows. What? Well, I think the first cow, he was just going to sell the cow. Like, just sell in your cow. Here, have my oh, cow. But now he's going to like chop it up. Yeah, he's adding value. Right. Yeah. When he got to the town with the meat, a great troop of dogs were gathered together in front of the gate with a large greyhound at the head of them, which jumped at the meat, snuffed at it, and barked, Wow, wow, wow. I love greyhounds that just come up to you and go, Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> and as there was no stopping him, the peasant said to him, Yes, yes, I know quite well what you're saying. Wow, 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 because you want some of the meat. <laughs> what? But I should fare badly if I were to give it to you. The dog, however, answered nothing but wow, wow. Well, it's not, um, this is a dated reference, but it's not Kylie Minogue, is it? Wow, wow, wow. I think I'm too young to get that, and I'm the same age as you. <laughs> what? I'm sure that is a Kylie Minogue song. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, don't know that one. Mm. Move on. Will you promise not to devour it all then? And will you vouch for your companions? Wow, wow, wow. Said the dog. (laughs) Well, if you insist on it, I will leave it for you. I know you well, and I know who your master is. But this I tell you. I must have my money in three days, or else it will go badly for you. You must bring it out to me. With that, he unloaded the meat and turned back. The dogs fell upon it and loudly barked, Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> <laughs> the countryman who heard them from afar said to himself, now they all want some, but the big one is responsible to me for it. So he's negotiated with the head dog, the head greyhound of the pack. And he said, okay, if you think this meat's so wow, I'll let you have it. I know, I know who your owner is, so I'm going to go to him in three days and get my money. And all the dogs have jumped on it. What is happening? I don't... Okay. He thinks he sold it to the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When three days had passed, the countryman thought, tonight my money will be in my pocket, and was quite delighted. But no one uh, came and paid him. There's no trusting anyone now, said he. And he at last lost patience and went into the town to the butcher and demanded his money. The butcher thought it was a joke. But the peasant said, Just in a part, I will have my money. Did not the great dog bring you the meat of the slaughtered cow three days ago? Then the butcher grew angry, snatched a broomstick and drove him out. Wait a while, said the peasant. There is still some justice in the world. And he went to the royal palace and begged for an audience. He was led before the king, who sat there with his daughter, and he asked him what injury he had suffered. Alas, said he, the frogs and the dogs have taken from me what is mine, and the butcher has paid me for it with the stick and related at full length all that had happened. At this, the king's daughter began to laugh heartily, and the king said to him, I cannot give you justice in this, but you shall have my daughter to wed for it. In her whole life, she has never yet laughed as she has just done at you, and I have promised her to the man who could make her laugh. You may thank God for your good fortune. Oh, answered the peasant, I'll not have her. I have a wife already, and she's one too many for me. When I go home, it's just as bad as if I have a wife standing in every corner. (laughs) Then the king grew angry and said, You are a boar. Ah, Lord King, replied the peasant. What can you expect from a pig but pork? 
Stop, answered the king. You shall have another reward. Be off now, but come back in three days, and then you shall have five hundred counted out in full. <laughs> Do you have any idea what's going on? Uh, literally none. Uh, I mean, literally, literally none. Oh. I think he's told his story about basically what a numpty he's been. Yeah. The king's daughters laugh like, yeah. <laughs> you idiot. And the king has gone, well, I'm sorry to hear about your situation, but... You made my daughter laugh, so you can marry her. He's gone, I've got a wife, and that's one too many, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he knows, right? You know, uh, so they <laughs> high fives and slap each other's backs. And then he says... The king's okay, called him a bore. Okay, then, if you're not going to marry my daughter, I'll give you 500 somethings. Yeah, so he says, I'll, I'll give you 500 counted out in full, right? And there, there may be a double meaning in there. That might right. get played with by the rest of the story. I see. Ah. You didn't always check. When they say they'll give you 500, always yeah. check 500 what? When the peasant went out by the gate, the sentry said, You've made the king's daughter laugh, so you'll certainly receive something good. Yes, that is what I think, answered the peasant. 500 are to be counted out to me. Listen, said the soldier, give me some of it. What can you do with all that money? Because it is you, said the peasant, you shall have 200. Present yourself in three days' time before the king and let it be paid to you. What? <laughs> <laughs> Seeing as you are so nicely. Seeing as it's you. I have almost half my money. Go on, go on. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Adam, here's where it all goes horribly wrong. Not that I felt it was going very well already, but it's about to go a lot more wrong. We were warned. Okay, I'm yeah. I, I don't know if I'm ready, but... <sighs> a Jew who was standing by and had heard the conversation, ran after the peasant, held him by the coat and said, Oh, wonder, what a lucky man you are. I will change it for you. I'll change it for you into small coins. What would you do with the great tallers? Jew, replied the countryman. Three hundred you can have. Give it to me at once in coin. In three days from this, you'll be paid for it by the king. The Jew was delighted with the profit and brought the sum in bad groschen, three of which were worth two good ones. After three days had passed, according to the king's command, the peasant went before the king. Okay, so do you see what's happened there? So, Yeah, basically. So I think so. The Jew has given him... The Jew, Adam. The Jew. Yeah, I know. Uh, the Jew's given him um, 300 in smaller coin. He said, the king's going to give you big coins. Uh, you know, what can you big do with coins. those? <laughs> <laughs> so he's given him real money. Yeah. So give me your bitcoins. Yeah. But he's given him... Some of the money he's given him is a bit dodgy. And some yeah, of it's all right. I don't really understand why it's dodgy. Is it counterfeit? Or? I think so, yes. Right, it's, okay. it's bad groschen. So uh, the peasant's gone back before the king after the three days have passed. Pull his coat off, said the latter, and he shall have his 500. So he means like lashings, right? I, yeah, I, was, I was clever. Very slowly cottoning on. Okay. <laughs> ah, said the peasant. They no longer belong to me. I presented 200 of them to the sentinel. And 300, the Jew has changed for me, so by right, nothing at all belongs to me. In the meantime, the soldier and the Jew entered and demanded what they were owed by the peasant, and this conduct angered the king. They received the blows strictly counted out. The soldier bore it patiently and knew already how it felt, but the Jew said sorrowfully, Alas, alas, are these the hard tallers? So the sentry and the Jew have been whipped in yeah. the peasant's place. Yeah. The king could not help laughing at the peasant. And once all his anger was gone, he said, 
As you have already lost your reward before it came to you, I will give you something in the place of it. Go into my treasure chamber and get some money for yourself, as much as you will. So the king said, "Just I like you now, you're all right. Yeah. Go help yourself to money. Yeah. The peasant did not need to be told twice and stuffed into his big pockets whatever would go in. Afterwards, he went to an inn and counted out his money. The Jew had crept after him and heard how he muttered to himself, That rogue of a king has cheated me after all. Why could he not have given me the money himself? And then I should know how much I had. How can I tell now if what I have had the luck to put in me pockets is right or not? Good heavens, said the Jew to himself. That man is speaking disrespectfully of our lord the king. I will run and inform, and then I shall get a reward, and he will be punished as well. When the king heard of the peasant's words, he fell into a passion and commanded the Jew to go and bring the offender to him. Are, are you following? Yeah, I, I think so. Really have left you behind on this story. Well, I think... <laughs> should we well, do a recap afterwards and unpick yeah, this complex I narrative? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. Okay, all right. Let's just get to the end of this. <laughs> yeah, let's start. Please. The Jew ran to the peasant... You are to go at once to the Lord King in the very clothes you have on. I know what's right better than that, answered the peasant. I shall have a new coat made first. Do you think that a man with so much money in his pocket is to go there in this ragged old coat? The Jew, as he saw that the peasant would not stir without another coat, and as he feared that if the king's anger cooled, he himself would lose his reward and the peasant his punishment, said, I will out of pure friendship lend you a coat for a short time. What will people not do for love? The peasant was contented with this, put the Jew's coat on, and went off with him. The king reproached the countryman because of the evil speaking of which the Jew had informed him. The countryman is the peasant, by the way. It just switches between countryman <laughs> and peasant. Da Look, is that guys, why you've been lost? I was struggling as much as it is. Why have you got to throw <laughs> that into the mix? Oh. So the king's telling him off. Yeah. Ah, said the peasant. What a Jew says is always false. Oh, no true word ever comes out of his mouth. That rascal there is capable of maintaining that I have his coat on. What is that? shrieked the Jew. Is the coat not mine? Have I not lent it to you out of pure friendship? Are you right? That of what? Oh In order that you might appear before the Lord King? When the King heard that, he said, The Jew has assuredly deceived one or the other of us, either myself or the peasant. And again, he ordered something to be counted out to him in hard tallers. So he's beaten the Jew again. The peasant, however, went home in the good coat with the good money in his pocket and said to himself, This time I have hit it. The end. The end of the good bargain. It's a good bargain. Um, <laughs> it's fun, isn't that? Hmm. I was, yeah. Are we there yet? <laughs> We're there, yeah. We, we've arrived at the end. Yeah, well, yeah, the story's... Did you tune out a while ago? But just don't know what to say, really. Mm. So, uh, the obvious thing to acknowledge mm. that you did warn everyone of. Mm. It's an openly anti-Semitic story. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. It's not... Was it... I, yeah, I mean... So I warned you about this beforehand. Like I you did. I don't actually normally warn Adam if things are no. certified grim. He records that at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know what what's coming, but this warranted a, a heads up. I think. Yeah, that would have been very unfair yeah. if I hadn't warned you of this. Yeah. 
and uh, it's you know but even when you've been warned it's still uh, well I don't know for me like when I hit that I was like it's still shocking it's shocking isn't it's it it's still shocking it's really shocking add to that the story just what <laughs> didn't make sense at all right you know what in a way I'm glad I think we should go through the story and sort of unpick it but in yeah. a way I'm glad because the weird thing about this story was I was worried that you were going to be having quite a lot of fun. Yeah. It's not t- until towards the end that the whole anti-Semitism and the Jew come in. Yeah. So I thought we'd be having a jolly old time. And then you just hit me with some anti-Semitism. But actually, I didn't feel like you were enjoying <laughs> any point of the telling. No. So do you want to do you want to go through it? Do you uh, think- yeah, if we have to. Um- <laughs> <laughs> do you think you could recap it? I what could, happened? I could give it my best shot. So basically, there's a bloke, and he's got a cow. He sells the cow, gets some money for it. He's happy with that. He gets confused with some frogs. Yeah. So, I mean, that this is point number one. Oh, wow. The, <laughs> From the, the first sentence the, of the story. The story really hasn't got animal noises right. Mm. It really hasn't. Well, I think in probably the only moment we're going to be generous to this story, perhaps that's a translation issue. Okay. And I didn't look into this because I was looking into other stuff. Sure. Uh, for this episode, I was looking more into the anti-Semitism, which we will be talking about in a bit. Yeah. But I imagine possibly in German, like, it might... And that might be why they chose seven and eight, because the word eight... Acht. Is that, the word? Is that eight in German? I think so. Acht. Maybe that's what frogs sound. That's it's a not, frog though, is sound. It, though. I don't know. Ribbit. Everyone knows that. Come that's on, That's English, mate. That's English frogs. That's ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean anyway that's being generous but that is yeah. being generous okay so right I mean, okay we're still on the first paragraph there's yeah. five pages yeah 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 he thinks they're talking to him misunderstanding how much he's got anyway a series of misunderstandings he ends up throwing his money in the pond and doesn't get it back yeah he then gets a second cow decides he's going to make money more money from that by sort of dividing it up which is smart uh, a smart business practice, isn't it? Um, Such an unimportant detail. You make well, you you make more as a sort of in retail than you would in wholesale. <laughs> Just in the wider business world, that's good. What you, you don't? Know, we're reading about fairy tales, mate. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, about yeah. like retail policy. Look, but yeah, if I'm gonna sort of really look around for positives to take on the story, <laughs> I've got to take them. Economic picking one hundred and one. Yeah. Okay. So that was good. Um, Except he gave it to some greyhounds. Yeah, a bunch of dogs. The leader was a greyhound. He thinks he sold them the meat. They're just eating the meat. uh, And he doesn't get his money. Then, to be honest, I think I forgot most of what happened after that. Yeah, that's as far as we got. (laughs) Okay, I can take over if you want. I I think he went to the... There was a butcher involved. Yeah, so the dogs belong to the butcher. the The dog leader belonged to the butcher. So he goes to the butcher. He's like, right, where's my money? The butcher's like, what on earth are you talking, are you talking about? about? And, and beat him up with a stick. Um, uh, but the peasant's like, right, there's still some justice in the world. I'm going to go to the king. I'm taking this to the top. Absolutely. He goes but- to the king, tells him the story. The king's sitting there with his daughter. The peasant tells him the story. The daughter she starts up. chuckling. She's like, you're a moron. And then the king says, uh, oh, you can marry my daughter because no one's been able to make her laugh. Which is a classic kind of fairy tale thing we've seen many times. Yeah. Actually, the uh, the princess laugh test to marry uh, to marry the princess. However, in a way, 
I mean, it did, it went down like a lead balloon. But I thought that was quite a little, a nice little subversion of that fairy tale trope, where he says, "Actually, I've already got a wife." No thanks. Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh, I don't want more. Blimey hell. That I like. That was funny, although a bit weird. Like yeah. him saying, <laughs> "Like, oh, one's more than enough." Yeah. And then he then I, yeah I'm lost again Matt well Can't that that might be the way I presented that but okay. as a kind of little device I thought that was quite because normally the winning the princess is the object of a fairy tale but in yeah. this one he's like oh no actually I've already got a wife no thanks uh, so I did quite like that yeah um, then this makes the king really annoyed so he's like right you you want something? Do you want you want something? I'm gonna I'm gonna count I'm gonna count out in full. Come back in three days and you can have five hundred something counted out in full. So he goes okay and goes off. Yeah. He then he's leaving the castle. Yeah. Bumps into the sentry. He basically tricks the sentry into taking two hundred of the five hundred. Well, I'm gonna stop you there. I don't think it's actually clear if the peasant knows what he's doing or if he doesn't know what right. he's doing. He might, but he might not. Either reading works well. But if he, if he doesn't know, yeah. what he says in the story is, the sentry's like, oh, what are you going to do with all that money? Can I have some? And, yeah, he, yeah. and he's never met this man before. And he goes, because it's you, I'll give you 200. If he thinks it's real money, why would he do that? This is a man who threw his money at some I frogs mean, yeah. and told them to count it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so, okay. Okay. I'm getting there. So then we get to <laughs> this the... This is longer than the actual story. <laughs> Then we get to the really bad part. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah where yeah, it yeah. introduces the Jewish character and he yeah. tricks him into taking the other 300. Then I can't remember what happens after that. Yeah, so um, obviously this story is meant to be kind of a bit of... A, uh, it's a humorous tale. It's all, it's all a jolly jape. Uh, however, for us... When it says, you know, a Jew who was standing by and had heard the conversation, that is obviously the Jarring. fun suddenly stops. Yeah. And as we heard, it does. It gets pretty nasty at the end. But for the intended audience, this was obviously meant to just be carrying on the fun. Yeah. So it's like, oh, then there's a Jew who's overheard him and he says, oh, I'll, I'll swap the money for you. I'll like break it down into smaller money that you can easily spend. So he gives him some counterfeit money and some mixed in with some normal money. Yeah. And then the peasant says okay, the king's going to give you the, the talis in three days' time. Yeah. So then the peasant goes to the king. He says, oh, I've given away my my 300 or whatever, 500, I can't even remember. And they belong to these two now. Yeah. So then the king whips them all. And then because he's got rid of his anchor, so, he's like, you are a clever one, peasant. Go take whatever you want from my treasure chest. Yeah. And in, And in a way, if that had been the end... We have had a Jew, and we've had a Jew, you know, being a dis deceitful money lender. Yeah. But nothing especially bad really has happened at that point. But then after that, so he goes, takes the money from the king's chamber. He goes to the pub. The Jew follows him. He's in the pub, and he he's complains. He says, oh, why did the king not give me a specific reward? Because now I've got to count all the money myself. And he hates counting. Which doesn't make any sense. He tried to outsource it to some frogs earlier and they would not play ball. And then the Jew says, oh, he's disrespecting the king. I'm going to go tell on him and I'll get a reward for that. And then the peasant will be punished. You know, the peasant who's tricked me. Yeah. The king says to the Jew, right, 
yeah, that's not cool. Go, go get the peasant, bring him to me. The Jew goes back to the pub, says, right, you've got to go to the king. And the peasant says, oh, I can't go in, in this, this ragged old coat. How can a rich man present himself to the king like this? And the Jew's thinking, oh, well, if we wait too long, the king's anger is going to cool. Yeah. So, right, just have my coat. So he gives him his nice coat. They go to the king. Then the king starts telling him off. He tells the countryman off. And then the peasant says, what a Jew says is always false. He even says that this is his coat. It's Which not. it is. Well, it is, because the Jew has lent the peasant yeah, his yeah, coat. Yeah, but, yeah, but he's saying, but it's not, it's mine. He's pretending it's his. Yeah, so he says to the king, that Jew's, you know, Jew's a liar. He even says that this coat is his, which it is. So the Jew says, it is mine, how dare you? Yeah. And then the king says, the Jew has obviously deceived someone here um, and then had him beaten again. And the peasant went home and said, this time I've hit it. So we've just heard the story twice. Yeah. Now. So, yeah. Wow. Mm. But I mean, it, if I'm twisting it maybe a little too much here, uh -huh. you could say that um, when he says what a Jew says is always false, actually the Jew in that situation is telling the truth. So the peasant is using the king's prejudice to his own advantage. Yeah. But the listener knows that he's lying and that the Jew hasn't actually done that. Yeah. So, so in a way, it could almost be... In, in the Jews' favour in that respect. However, it's I'm sure it feels similar to you, but to me, it doesn't feel like that in this spirit. No. And it's made it very clear that earlier the Jew had cheated him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's mm. supposed to be, like you say, it's a funny story. So that's a yeah. sort of comedic payoff. And it's like, mm. you got one over on him and that's supposed to be funny and good. Yeah, you're following the peasant, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's um the the air in the the castle is a bit deflated at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Well, shall we continue the deflation? Let's deflate. Yeah. I think we probably need to talk a bit more about anti-Semitism and the Grimms this evening. Yes. It's it's the time to do it. It is the I time. Think. If yeah. ever there was a time. It's now. <laughs> it's now. <laughs> it's on a cold winter's day <laughs> when we've all just got together for a lovely story. Yeah, you up for that? Exploring this a little bit more. Let's do it. So as an overview, in total, there are 211 official Brothers Grimm fairy tales collected in two volumes. Yeah. And out of the 211, there are three stories which have a Jewish character in it. Okay. Now, we're working through volume one of the fairy tales at the moment. Yeah. Towards the end. And that has the good bargain in it. That's the only one. Right. The remaining two stories uh, with a character identified as a Jew are in volume two. They are uh, The Jew in the Thornbush, tale 110, uh, which is explicitly anti-Semitic. Oh, wow. It's an incredibly nasty story, actually. And the third tale is The Bright Sun Brings It to Light, which is tale 115, which is ambiguous in its depiction of the Jew. So there are three stories with a Jew in it, two that are anti-Semitic, including this one, and one where it's more ambiguous. Yeah. So we were always going to get to this. And, you know, although we don't read ahead, I was aware that there was anti-Semitism in the Grimm's. Um, I'm really glad in a way that you've somehow magically picked this 
when we're getting towards the end of volume one rather than like yeah. episode three of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, I was I was pretty worried about this tonight. Of course. Obviously. And I was I was actually unsure whether we should read it at all. But on balance, I thought that we probably should. It's a Grimm's fairy tale. We're reading all the Grimm's fairy tales. And if anything, um, we shouldn't just let them off the hook. Sure. It's better to interrogate it. Even if it meant I had to, you know, read that out loud and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and broadcast it and publish it. Uh, but still, of course, it was a difficult decision. So I was over the moon, therefore, when a knight in shining armour came to my rescue. Oh. Uh, one evening in the summer, we received an email from Rachel O'Brien offering to help. Rachel wrote that she'd heard we chosen this story when you picked it, a good bargain. And just so happened, she's just finished her master's thesis on the relationship between the Grimm's fairy tales and the Holocaust, and she offered to send me some resources if I liked. I can't even begin to describe the relief I felt when I got that email. (laughs) That's amazing. So I said, yes, for the love of God, yes, please send me everything and anything you have on this topic. Uh, and so thanks to Rachel, I had some decent research material for kind of looking into this side of the Grimm's, mm-hmm. uh, including a paper by Jack Zipes, among others. And I also ended up having a chat over Zoom with Rachel, which was really useful as well. So for the rest of the episode, uh, we're going to look at the relationship of the Grimm's with anti-Semitism. Okay. Going to kind of put them on trial. Yeah. And we'll also look at the Grimm's in Nazi Germany as well. And then finally, I'll play us a short clip from that chat I had with Rachel about the more subtle side of anti-Semitism in the Grimm's as well. Told you it wasn't going to be a fun episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Okay, so we'll start with the Nazis. Always a good place to start. (laughs) Which is perhaps something some listeners will already know about, actually. The Nazis were really into fairy tales, especially the Brothers Grimm. They jumped on the idea that these oral folk stories represent, capture the pure German soul, all that business. Right. Which is what the Grimm's espoused. Yeah. And apparently, Kinder und Hausmarken, which is um, the Grimm's fairy tales in German, was even elevated to something of a holy text by the Nazis. Wow. They considered it a sacred Aryan relic. Aryan in many inverted commas there. A. Aryan. 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 Okay. Is that how you say it? Uh, yeah. Isn't well, it Aryan? Aryan. Like the Aryan race. Yeah. Isn't it the Aryan race? It's Aryan, isn't it? Am I going to Google <laughs> how to pronounce <laughs> Aryan. Aryan. I thought it was Aryan. <laughs> Aryan. The Aryan race. <laughs> um, yeah. A- what is it? Aryan. Aryan. I mean, it's nonsense. But um, Aryan, okay. Uh, It's not biologically legit race either. It's not. But yeah, what do they call it? Aryan. They call it the Aryan. Don't look at me like I'm some sort of secret (laughs) Nazi. Because I know the way you like you're a secret Nazi. What do you guys call it? Aryan. (laughs) Yeah, what? what? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the Nazis considered um, Kindernhausmarken a sacred text. And they co-opted it for propaganda purposes and to spread Nazi ideology. In Nazi Germany, the study of folklore was subsumed into the burgeoning racial ideology. 
the idea of studying the folk became connected to the study of the superior race. Yeah. The Nazis took that romantic nationalism idea of the Brothers Grimm's and other romantics to the absolute extreme and ultimately weaponized folklore, folk tales for their own purposes. Yeah, so the, the Grimm's collecting these stories to sort of reinforce a sense of German identity and they've sort of turned yeah. that up to 11 exactly. in a very, uh, well, in a, in a Nazi kind of way. They took it too far. Controversial, <laughs> but I think you might be right, Matt. In 1935, Nazi Party official Alfred Eyed said, The German folktale shall become a most valuable means for us in the racial political education of the young. Very hard not to say that with like a Hollywood Nazi uh, accent. (laughs) Well done for for not falling into that. Every school in Nazi Germany was required to use Kind und Hausmarken as a textbook and every household was required to own a copy of the Grimm's fairy tales. Seriously? Apparently so. Is that really true? Right. I brought this up with Rachel when I chatted with her because in the research, in the few things I've seen, you get sentences that say things like that. And with that one in particular, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Trying to look it up anywhere else, I couldn't find anything Mm. on it. And I get the feeling there's a kind of dearth of material on this in the English language. I don't think it's been very much studied in the English-speaking world. I imagine in Germany, there's a lot more material on this. But as far as I'm aware, every household was required to own a copy of Kinder and Hausmarker. That's mad. If you're German and you know different, please let us know. Okay. Mm. If that's the case, presumably there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of old Nazi copies of Kinder and Hausmarker mm. knocking around in cupboards and attics and stuff. I mean, I th- I, yeah, presumably you're right. Well, um, well, it's interesting because um, the Nazis didn't actually go and like rework or rewrite the fairy tales to Nazify them because they believed, because the Nazis believed Kinder and Hausmarken was like sacred. You know, these oral folk tales are the yeah. voice of the, the German Volk. Um, they didn't want to pollute it. So there aren't, you know, which is uh, beautifully ironic, you know, as, sure. as we've seen, the very nature of fairy tales is that they're like polluted, they're contaminated, their voices from all over the world yeah. mushed up together. Uh, but anyway, um, so you do, we don't actually have like Nazi approved, uh, as far as I'm aware, like editions of Kinder and Housemark and with like a swastika on the cover with like well, Hitler drawn in, in the front. Well, like not in terms of the haven't reworded anything, but... Mm. If you're going to enforce that every household has a copy, yeah, you're going to have to up like production of these books. Do you know what I mean? They're not just forcing them to or subsid- giving them a little ticket mm. to go out to the local bookshop. <laughs> I don't know how it would. Work. Well, I'm not sure. Um, if I remember correctly from one of the articles I read, one of the papers I read, it did say that it was surprising that they weren't like Nazi editions of fairy tales. However, it is also important to keep in mind how important uh, fairy tales and the Grimm's especially were in Germany anyway. So I believe in the like 1850s even, in Prussia, the Grimm's were on the school syllabus. Yeah. Like they, ha- they are, and I think even today, they hold a very special place in the heart of German people. Oh, yeah. Um, so maybe there were already enough knocking around. Right. I don't know, though. It would be interesting if anyone does know. Yeah, I'll be fascinated. Like, was there a law or something or a decree? Yeah. Something like that. 
one thing they did utilize um, was the emergence of mass communication, like radio and TV. There are dozens and dozens of Nazi fairy tale films, which feels kind of weird to say to me. That's a bizarre genre. The That's Nazi fairy really tale. weird. Didn't uh, catch on like sort of French New Wave <laughs> cinema or anything like that. No, it's weird, isn't it? Including The Seven Ravens, okay. Red Riding Hood and uh, Puss in Boots as well. There's a Nazi Puss in Boots. There's a Nazi Puss in Boots. I remember seeing that when I researched Puss in Boots for our Puss in Boots episode. I left it out of a Puss in Boots episode. Interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, isn't that mad? That's really weird. When, just out of interest, this mm. is a total side note, but like when mm. was the last... When would the last edition have been of the Kindred House Mark while the Grimms were alive? Ooh, I think it was 1857. Okay. Top of my head. Yeah, mid 1800s. So, in the sort of um, like mid 1930s or whatever, mm. that would have been as old to them as like something from the 1940s is to us now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're equidistant. Equ- equidistant, yeah. <laughs> Nazi Germany is equidistant from us as to the Grimms. To the Grimms, yeah. Wow. That's a weird thought. It's really weird. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Food for thought. <laughs> Just mull on that. Grim thoughts. <laughs> Time, isn't it weird? Certainly is, Matt. So, okay, so they couldn't, like, mess with the stories. So, apparently, instead, there was a huge effort to reinterpret the folktales in accordance with Nazi ideology. They played up the anti-Jewish tales, and they gave a new spin on the rest so, for example, apparently Little Red Riding Hood was interpreted as the German people being terrorized by the Jewish wolf. And um, without spoilers, Hitler was the like heroic huntsman coming to save them. Nice and crude interpretation there. Yeah. Another example, slightly more sophisticated. Uh, one Nazi interpreted the classical idea of the fairy tale hero marrying the king's daughter as the symbol for the improvement of the species, the perpetuation of the race. The perfect brave hero arises from the folk and then is chosen by the king's daughter because he is the best and therefore they then perpetuate the pure race. All this sort of nonsense. Wow. Uh, And in general, Nazi interpretations stressed community and race over family, the king and realm above all else, and the submissive role of women. So fairy tales were encouraged, but the meaning was manipulated in analysis, is my understanding okay. of what the Nazis did. Yeah. On the flip side, though, it's been argued that because the Nazis didn't rewrite the tales, the Grimm's fairy tales were one of the few refuges for normal Germans. One of the few things that you could consume that wasn't like stuffed with Nazi propaganda, despite their attempts to make it so. Yeah. And apparently fairy tale books became increasingly popular towards the end of the war as the Nazis were on the wane, perhaps showing their subversive power as well. And since we started the podcast, I've seen a few times repeated the fact that after the war, in US-occupied West Germany, the USA banned the Brothers Grimm from schools. Wow. Because of how important they were to the Nazis. So I've seen that, you know, that gets sort of bandied about that fact. But in one of the papers Rachel sent, I read that the US also banned a pro-communist fairy tale in 1948 in West Germany because it defamed the US. Which, if nothing else, shows that these stories are considered powerful. Sure. You you wouldn't ban something that you weren't afraid of. 
just trying to give balance to that that fact about the uh, the US banning the Grimms. They also <laughs> banned pro uh, communist ones as well. Okay, that's fair. So basically, the Grimm's fairy tales were used to justify racism, sexism, and fascist authoritarianism under the guise of Germanic heritage. And it can't really be overstated how much the Nazis were into the Brothers Grimm and oral folk tales. That's the Nazis. We've covered them. So we're done with the Nazis? <laughs> I'm so done with the Nazis. I'm so over them. Yeah, let's... Um... Interesting though, isn't it? Like... And and you can kind of see the like natural progression of the Grimm's ideas to be co-opted by the Nazis in that way. Like it, yeah, 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 it's not. I mean, it's shocking to hear, but it's kind of it makes sense really if you think about it. They're trying to like play up Germanic heritage, which is what the Grimm's were doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can take something that's a perfectly innocent exploration of national folk culture. And use that for fascistic purposes by just turning it up mm. to 11 and, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you can exactly see how that would happen. Yeah. I'm just glad we get to enjoy them today without associating them with Nazis. Except you've just associated <laughs> them with Nazis, so thank you for that. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> well, but, I mean, Adam, though, are they maybe inherently bad? Should we maybe not be going anywhere near them? Matt, what? <laughs> well, you know, this is one way to end the podcast. So, you know, I've been telling you about the Nazis and the Grimms, and that that leads us back to the boys themselves. And I've just read you quite an anti-Semitic fairy mm. tale that is in the Brothers Grimm collection. So, how culpable are the Grimms in all this? Let's put them on trial. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> are we um, like prosecution? Attorneys, or what? What's our role here? Detectives. Uh, I'm judge, jury, and executioner. Oh wow! I think is the uh, which one am I? All three oh, at wow. once. The power. <laughs> it's a bit fascist, isn't it? I mean, it's a little bit. Um, so first of all, uh, a case for the Grimms. Okay. I'll allow it. Uh, the brothers Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, as we've seen, were collecting folk tales among many other academic pursuits, to preserve the voice of the German folk, the soul of the people, as we were talking about. But to contextualise that, this was in the face of Napoleonic occupation of German-speaking lands in the early 19th century. Uh, And their project was partially a political one to foster a sense of Germanness to unite German speakers in the face of foreign occupation. So we could say that their romantic nationalism, if anything, was anti-French. Or simply pro-German, yeah, rather than racist. Well, this is the thing. It does put a different spin on it when you view it through the lens of Germany being an occupied land mm. rather than fast forward, yeah, whatever, 60, 70 years, and they are the occupiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does put a different spin on it. I guess so. Yeah. I can I can see that that point. But an even better point, crucially the Grimm's didn't think that the German stories were inherently better than other nations and people's stories. It was just that they said something specific about the nature of Germans, which is exactly what you were saying, in the same way that Russian fairy tales said something about Russian culture. It's not that they thought the German ones were superior. Mm. Indeed, in the preface of the first edition of Kinder and Hausmarken, 
They praised the works of Charles Perrault, the famous French literary fairy tale writer. And they even stated explicitly that they hoped their work would inspire other people to capture the lost poetry of other cultures, which is what they saw oral folktelling as. And as we constantly see in their annotations, they're always making comparisons between their stories and ones from elsewhere. That's often how I'm finding the other mad stories to yeah. read us. They even translated and published stories from other countries. And even, believe it or not, some Jewish stories as well. Interesting. As Maria Tatar writes, the, uh, the fairy tale academic, Far from considering Germanic culture superior to others, the Grimm's endorsed a cosmopolitan outlook in which every culture was seen to merit scholarly engagement. And the final thing we can say in their favour, they are collecting oral folklore, so you would expect different views. They are writing down what other people are saying. Yeah. If you selectively analyse the Grimm's fairy tales, you can kind of find any and every point of view. For example, you know, we've seen some stories that are horrendously sexist and other ones that actually seem incredibly empowering for women. Yeah. Because it's a collection of folktales. It's a collection it's, of it's voices. Their stories they've written, they are collecting them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounding good? I mean, yes. Yes, although the flip side of that last point ah. is that how much did this story change from the first edition to the sixth edition or whatever because there are plenty of instances where their um authorial intent or mm. you know their their influence is seen from version to version so if this remains unchanged might be a, a little mark against their name you're totally onto it you're totally yeah. onto it and that does bring me to the counter arguments yeah. um uh, I'm not sure how much this version changes actually from the first to the last, but regardless, they collected other versions of this story that didn't have that character as a Jew. Right. Okay. And you kind of, I guess, what you're saying is, the, this is a collection of oral folk tales, but you can see the fingerprints of the Grimm's yes. all over this. They interfered with the text, embellishing, editing, and changing stuff. And crucially, they chose to include a story that has a Jew in it when they didn't need to. Yeah. Now, even worse, as mentioned, three stories out of uh, 211 have a Jewish character. Now, as a proportion of the stories, that perhaps doesn't seem too bad. Yeah. However, in 1825, they published the compact little edition of fairy tales which was inspired by the uh, first english translation of the brothers grimm by uh, edgar taylor eddie t oh yeah friend did, of the podcast we, talk, we talked about this in the biography episode yeah um now this little edition had a selection of just 50 tales and was aimed explicitly at children and for this they included two of the three stories with a jew in it including the good bargain so they went out of their way to add two of the Jewish stories to a smaller collection aimed at children. And in that case, the proportion of the racist stories shoots up wildly. Yeah. Two out of 50. Yeah. So, you know, these stories may be folktales, but the Grimm's are making decisions, authoring the stories and shaping how they're disseminated. Which is horrible, if you think it about is. it. Yeah. However, 
That's a beautiful ray of light, Adam. I need it. <laughs> Matt, give me that. Give me that ray. There is some concrete evidence of Jacob Grimm doing good in this area. You may remember in our biography episode, Jacob Grimm was invited to the Frankfurt National Assembly, an attempt to pass a German constitution and create a German state. I, Any bells rung? I mean... No. No. I'll be honest. I have to be honest about you, that. You got excited. You thought he was like the German Ben Franklin or something. You said... Did I say that? What if one of the founding fathers? Yeah, he almost yeah. became a founding father, but yeah. the, the parliament collapsed and it, it didn't go anywhere. Oh, no. But, you know, he was there at this sort of <laughs> original attempt to create a united Germany. Yeah. So at the parliament, they're dealing with fundamental issues. And in 1848, in one vote, Jacob Grimm voted in favour of unconditional civic and political equality for German Jews. Excellent. He explicitly opposed anti-Semitic policy and voted in favour of equality for Jews. Oh, does that make you rest e- a bit easier? Way more easy. That is, um, that is good news. What about, what about Wilhelm? <laughs> he wasn't invited to the, okay. uh, to the parliament. Okay. Yeah. So we just have to, Jacob we'll assume he, one. he shares Jacob's views. Yeah, we'll, we'll make that assumption. Yeah, let's assume that. <laughs> but I think that's probably true. I mean, I've actually got a quote here from Rachel's thesis. She wrote, Furthermore, scholars have shown that the Grimms did not harbour particularly personal or vehement anti-Semitic vendettas, but rather conformed to moderate liberal attitudes of their time that were mostly ambivalent toward German Jews. I'm going to take Rachel's word for it. There's other scholarship that shows they didn't harbour personally anti-Semitic views. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, although I'd say uh, that ultimately Kinder and Hausmarken as a whole is not remotely concerned with anything like the fantasy of a 1,000-year Aryan Reich, and we have evidence of Jacob Grimm voting in favour of equality for Jews, it is demonstrably true that their legacy has contributed to Jewish suffering through the huge reach of the fairy tales, some of which are anti-Semitic, and like it or not, the Nazis did use the Grimms as part of their propaganda. Yes. So what are you, what are you thinking? <sighs> it's a difficult one. Do you get the kind of like pros and cons on, on Jacob and Wilhelm's no, side? I think, I think so, yeah. It's, um, funny enough, not black and white, is it? Um, as you, nothing ever is nothing in these fairy tales, is. as what? we constantly find. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean... You find it when you try to cast judgment on anyone that mm. um, they will have acted in one way at one mm. point and then mm-hmm. uh, in an opposing way at another point. It's a difficult one. I mean, to, to the to the way in which they they were used by the Nazis was was Wagner an anti-Semite? I'm not sure. No, uh, I guess it's a bit of a <laughs> an unfair question, but he was obviously beloved by the Nazis. I think like, it, I, innocent things can be co-opted by yeah. terrible people. Obviously, it's not totally innocent because there is still a story with mm. bad things <laughs> said about. Yeah, 
So I think, you know, I suppose you could, you know, so one argument is like, yeah, there are bad things said, uh, you know, about Jews, but they're like reflective of the folk stories that they found. But we have seen that they specifically chose to include this in a small edition, yeah. like which shows the value that they place on it. And also they uh, collected other versions that didn't have that. But then they're voting in favour of equality, so it's just yeah. it's it's just a cascade of contradictions. This whole enterprise of reviewing <laughs> Grimm's fairy tales—it's <laughs> always uh, nothing's black and white, as you say. Um, but I, yeah, I think you know, being co-opted by the Nazis isn't. I mean, a lot of things were co-opted by the Nazis. It doesn't, yeah. you know, that doesn't mean they're bad if the Nazis like them. You exactly. Know. But I, I think sort of. Um, delving into the Grimm's, the way they've shaped their stories and their own personal uh, lives on this, perhaps gives us more insight. So yeah, it's uh, it's, just a, it's just a big mess. It's a hot mess. It certainly is a hot <laughs> mess. And I would say the jury rests. Is that a thing? I don't know what that means, but I, don't know what that I means. need a rest. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well... Uh, before we get to the scores, Adam, which which is going to be interesting, um, I'm going to play uh, play us a clip from my chat with Rachel uh, that okay. I had on all this. Um, she very kindly uh, called in from Halifax, Canada, and answered lots of my questions on the topic. Uh, as I said at the beginning, Rachel wrote her thesis on the Grimm's and the Holocaust, so she knows about this stuff. And one thing that came up in our conversation is the idea that the anti-Semitism in the Grimm's isn't always explicit. And maybe it's actually lurking in the other stories. There might be some hard truths in here that you won't like okay. around other stories, even outside of the Grimm's. Oh, okay. So I'll play you a bit of the chat I had with Rachel. Uh, it should be around 10 minutes long, I reckon. Um, my computer threw a hissy fit halfway through uh, and just like just shut down, <laughs> just it just it just died. Uh, so there's a clunky bit in the middle uh, where I have to okay. reconnect. But um, yeah, I'll play you a bit of the chat. Okay. Um, yeah. Thanks so much again. Um, honestly, you've been a lifesaver, genuinely. <laughs> with this thing. <laughs> well, yeah, totally, totally, my pleasure. I know it's a a difficult topic, and also um, it can be hard to find kind of resources on it so yeah <laughs> yeah no it really has been um one thing i thought was interesting um that you included in your paper was the idea that the, the anti-semitism in the grimm's fairy tales isn't just in those explicitly anti-semitic ones it's actually encoded in uh other stories as well and there and therefore it's actually more dangerous in that form so mm -hmm. if you omit all the uh you know, you get rid of the nasty offensive ones, actually you kind of are still propagating it and it's in a more dangerous way. I think mm -hmm. the example given is Rumpelstiltskin because like yeah, he wants gold and he's stealing Christian children and you have all these sort of Jewish stereotypes. Um, mm -hmm. And often he's depicted, Rumpelstiltskin is depicted in artwork in a very stereotypically Jewish way. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was quite an interesting argument. Do you think, do you think that's a valid argument? Or, um, yeah, do you, do you think that's something i don't know that's important to keep in mind when exploring other grimm's fairy tales yeah for sure yeah so i mean i think he's yeah articulated that really um, really beautifully <laughs> but um but yeah i 
I kind of think in some ways that um, when we when we omit the stories like The Good Bargain and stories like The Jew and the Thornbush from the collection, because we don't have that kind of context anymore, it uh, is dangerous in a way because there are, as you said, um, other stories in the Grimm's collection, stories that are a lot more popular that use really subtle kinds of anti-Semitic um, uh, markers. So uh, even just, and this is true of, of witches outside of the Grimm stories as well, but um, even the figure of the witch is um, kind of a character that really relies on different kinds of anti-Semitic uh, stereotypes, particularly in the hooked nose or the long hooked nose that she's often described as having. Also, um, yellow skin is another one. Um, mm. So, uh, so that's kind of just a just a sort of subtly anti-Semitic form of characterization that doesn't maybe jump out as apparently anti-Semitic to us because we don't generally kind of have the context that uh, that the Grimm's were. Uh, using or relying on on anti-Semitic characterization in their um, collection, and then um, the the example of Rumpelstiltskin, I think, is is really interesting because I had I had never thought of that story as as one that was especially anti-Semitic in in any way until um, I think when I was seventeen or eighteen, I was I was babysitting a little a little kid, and uh, I was telling her stories. <laughs> I was telling her uh, Rumpelstiltskin, and when I got to the moment in the story where Rumpelstiltskin appears, um, I was about to describe him to her, and then I suddenly had this horrible realization that the way I was imagining him was kind of totally in line with these really um, anti-Semitic stereotypes. So I was imagining this kind of small, hunched little man with a with a hooked nose and with a long beard, and and I was especially kind of appalled by the fact that I had imagined this because I'm Jewish and, and grew up um, with with that. Yeah, so I was shocked by how um, how that can kind of lurk in, in ways that we don't recognize uh, in these stories. So I think, yeah, Rumpelstiltskin is sort of a, a complicated um, a complicated story because there's no, I mean, there's no explicit reference to, to Judaism anywhere in there, but mm. Rumpelstiltskin kind of embodies um, uh, lots of tropes we see associated with Jewish people. So he's, as you said, he's kind of like a, a money lender. He's related to changing money to striking sort of unfair bargains with people that uh, involve money. He, um, he wants a a baby and we're not quite sure why but it doesn't seem it seems sort of sinister which uh, resonates with lots of um sort of anti-semitic legends about jews mm. wanting to take christian children for some kind of ritual murder purposes um and then even just even just the fact that he lives in a place that's um completely isolated from the village where the miller is I think the the place where the fox and the hare bid each other good night mm. uh, kind of resonates in some ways with uh, the ways Jews in many parts of Europe were sort of ostracized from the non-Jewish community and lived apart. And even some some scholars have suggested that even his his name, which is supposed to strike us as sort of strange and unpronounceable, 
um, might indicate in some way that he belongs to a, a culture or a language that's uh, that's not German. Um, so there are those kind of potential potential codings in the in the story. And that's when my computer died. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so my computer died, but fortunately uh, Rachel hung around, and I got it working again, <laughs> so I could play uh, the oh, next well part. You can hear me kind of awkwardly trying to <laughs> get that going again. Um, uh, what? So, where, where were we? What were we saying? Oh, I think I was I was blabbing on about Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> um, I yeah, uh, I'm. I can go back, or I can whatever. whatever no, please you... do. Uh, yeah, please do. It's so, it is an interesting idea, isn't it? Um, I, I was just thinking about the name Rumpelstiltskin. I seem to remember in the episode it was something to do with like little rapple, uh, little rattle stilt or something. It meant yeah, something. but <laughs> something it's interesting like yeah, the idea of like uh, it's some weird name. You know, it's something foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, please carry on. Oh sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, just I I don't know where I don't know where I sort of left off, but um. But yeah, I just I think it's a it's an interesting example. Maybe Rumpelstiltskin of uh, the way that these kinds of anti-Semitic uh, stereotypes and tropes that we see often used to um, characterize any kind of villainous character are sort of so ingrained in a sense that we don't uh, we don't even recognize them um, as anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. So things like um, I think I think Rumpelstiltskin kind of uh, in some ways, resembles the goblins in, in the Harry Potter series. So we have the goblins as these kind of small, small creatures that are very clever and that handle handle money and that speak. Oh, no. a, yeah, I know. <laughs> sort of oh, no. speak a strange a strange language. And but again, these these kinds of things are are so ingrained that we don't um, we don't even recognize them um, mm. as having any kind of uh, nefarious undertone and um, mm-hmm. I think that's really um, really kind of clear in the way that so many of the illustrations mm-hmm. for Stiltskin sort of maybe not even consciously pick up on the kind of sort of subtle anti-Semitic coding that's mm-hmm. happening and then really heighten it and make it much more legible and so then we get Stiltskin depicted sort of with with like a, a hooked nose and a long beard and Mm. and uh and that kind of cements maybe the the potentially ambiguous anti-semitism that is perhaps in the story that's interesting that you say that it's um maybe even subconscious because when i read about this in your in your thesis and i saw you know the images that was when that idea really hit home it's like oh wow yeah i can totally see that but it's also interesting um the idea that maybe even the illustrators didn't know they were doing that sounds Mm -hmm. like what you were suggesting Exactly, yeah, and it's um it's also interesting because the the only I think the only physical kind of description we get of Rumpelstiltskin is that he's small or that he's little. He's a little man, mm. um, but we get kind of the same the same features consistently used in these illustrations, and mm. uh, we know that illustrations really kind of inform the way we understand and imagine these stories. Um, and there's yeah, I think there's a the author um. Naomi Novik, who's a Jewish American author, has written a 
kind of novel length retelling of Rumpelstiltskin that sort of addresses the anti-Semitism in the book. And she um, she's spoken about how, how you know this story is anti-Semitic because we have this small um, man with a hooked nose, and that's the way she describes the story. But um, I think it's it's interesting there because there's actually no mention of that of that nose in the story. So we can see that as an example mm. of the way that illustrations are so powerful in the way they come to inform the way we imagine and understand mm -hmm. these stories. Yeah, and a lot of people who. Uh, you know, they might not remember the story itself, but you kind of, you have vague images, maybe from mm -hmm. when you were a child that have stayed with you. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, it's interesting, the uh, the goblins in the Harry Potter, because I was thinking, there's a whole, there is this whole idea that they are a slightly separate outside community as well, with a troubled history, with the wizarding exactly. community. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and then the idea of, of witches as well, like, it, it, I feel like I won't be able to watch a, a movie with a witch in it again. Like, I know it's, yeah. Mm. But I suppose it's kind of, it, is it almost like, I suppose a witch in like a sort of Hollywood fairy tale, it's kind of, mm -hmm. the idea is they are, they are ugly as a, with a kind of the opposite of what society considers beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how you think of it, but is perhaps there's something in there of historically, like those people look like that and they're different and they don't look like us mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, and we can think about how um, I mean fairy tales rely so much on the idea that what's what's beautiful is good and what's mm. ugly is bad, but that gets more complicated when we look at what exactly counts as ugly. Um, mm. And in the Grimm's in the Grimm's tales, the idea of what is ugly often depends on kind of stereotypical ideas of what Jewish people look like, also also kind of ideas about what disabled people look like. Um, so kind of people who are sort of different in any way than the norm get constructed as as ugly and then yeah, then that kind of beautiful ugly dichotomy mm. um, starts to look a lot. I mean it's not it's not great to begin with, <laughs> but it starts to look a lot worse once you yeah, yeah. dig a little deeper. Wow, that was incredible. Um, thank you so much, Rachel, for uh, for speaking to Matt. But <laughs> you guys, are you ruining Harry Potter? <laughs> Is Harry Potter out of bounds? <laughs> oh no! Oh uh, yeah, possibly. It's everywhere, isn't it? The idea that uh, yeah, these anti-Semitic tropes are just kind of hidden in plain sight in a way well exactly as as you said and and rachel confirmed like they're at their almost at their most harmful when they're hidden just out of sight and mm. so we don't think about them and we're happy to keep mm. propagating them mm -hmm. and wow. that's and that's a good reason i think to bring this up and to do yeah. the good bargain yeah because it then gives us a chance to sort of explore ideas like that which um and then maybe sort of reassess some of the other stories and, and weed out that the sort of hidden darker side, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And I, I constantly was just thanking Rachel for her help, <laughs> but it really was. I, I think I would, I would have struggled to find much at all on this. And instead you got an expert in the field. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Is it score time? 
I think it's score time. Okay. Well, if you're new and for some reason you're still listening, uh, each episode, <laughs> each Brother Scrib story, we each give a rating out of 10 for a possible rating out of 20. Uh, and uh, yeah, Adam goes first. <laughs> so you should have seen the look on Matt's face when he said that. And I knew this was coming and I knew I was going to have to go first because that's the way this works. Well, yeah. I mean, we can discuss it before you, you score. Well, I had a thought early on. Yeah. I don't know whether to do it or not. Well, just to, let's talk about it. Well, it's bad, isn't it? The story? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's bad. It's pretty a bad, bad one. I mean, you didn't even enjoy the first half no. where I thought you'd be having fun. No, and it sort of didn't make sense. I mean, I did not know what was going on. <laughs> there was a guy throwing money at frogs. They were making non-frog sounds. The king? I don't understand the king. Why? What is it? Who is this person? You are a bore. He's like, he's like, <laughs> oh, you made my daughter laugh. You're brilliant. Why don't you marry her? No. I hate you. I'm going to whip you. And then, it's, and then he gets some other people whipped. And he's like, I really like you. Take some treasure. What? what? I like that guy. What? Well, sounds understand. great. <laughs> yeah, but then the story goes anti-Semitic. Yeah, and then, uh, obviously, so, that's yeah. the main area why this would lose mm. points also dogs don't go wow 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 they don't go wow that's wow, another wow, big wow, area wow, wow, wow. for losing points <laughs> it's another big one but that's another red line that's been crossed <laughs> i mean so many red lines yeah. um i honestly am considering shall i just i'll just float this before i declare anything yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll talk about it okay 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 right. i've got my hands up exactly. like nobody move <laughs> I'm, I'm a little afraid to move right now look matt i'm stressed out about this all right now fair dues what i'm considering is yeah giving this one out of ten okay um i was thinking the same so yeah. i i'm i and i don't think i could go any higher no i'm tempted to give it a one Maybe for like the AT structure. I, I think you could get a good story out of that. Yeah. Indeed, as I said, the, apparently there are versions of that that don't have a Jew in it. Yeah. And I think it could be a fun romp. As it stands, I'm thinking, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably thinking maybe a zero. Because I think in a way wow. it's, it's inexcusable. You know, yeah. we, we've kind of, you know, we've weighed up uh, the pros and cons with the Grimms, you know, like how bad is this collection as a whole how bad were the grims uh, you know whatever it comes down to that story is inexcusable i think um yeah so i'm i'm thinking zero or one and i, I it's interesting so your attempt to go one well i'm thinking maybe a bit higher and w- what are the pros no, that I, would I, give you the score well i wasn't thinking higher to be honest and i didn't mm. it's probably worth talking about this can we go to zero i guess we can there's nothing stopping us totally can um, oh, I see. It's almost like one is the lowest one, score. I said one thinking that was the lowest score. Oh, okay. Um, I think we can go zero. We can go zero. Yeah, okay. or 0.5. <laughs> For the frogs. Well, no, the frogs... The, fro- the whole frog, oh, the frog, the whole frog point, thing just annoyed yeah. me. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's leave the story behind. What do you reckon? <sighs> Look, Matt, it's openly anti-Semitic. I'm giving it zero. Yeah, I think it's got to be a zero, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, so that is zero out of 20 for the good bargain. Now, if there is a, a tiny silver lining 
we can take from that is that the hare's bride can rest a little easier tonight. Yes! The hare's bride is no longer the lowest scoring story. Absolutely not. Oh, man. This is a... Talk about historical injustices. The hare's bride bride. as the lowest scoring story in Grim Reading. New listeners. It's an oldie, I'd say, the hare's bride. Yeah. Um, We were harsh on that story. We were harsh and we've been told so a few times. (laughs) No, we've been told off. Um, It's not not even by a long shot the worst story we've read because... (laughs) We've now got a zero out of 20. Yeah. Zero out of 20. That is really low, isn't <laughs> Doesn't it? Doesn't get lower. I mean, to be honest, if you're going to be anti-Semitic and racist, you know, I mean, what do you expect? What do you you're expect? You're going to mess up your grim reading score. Exactly. Okay. More for them. Let that be a warning. Yeah. Future stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, it's going to be way more fun next time. Oh, yes. <laughs> Music to my ears. In fact, it's weirdly similar to this story but like how you should do this story oh okay, yeah interesting just a little just a way your appetite there it is strangely similar so it's but without all the right. r- racism yeah yeah i mean there's quite a lot of death in it but it's all good fun death we're fine with it here yeah. i'm reading fictional 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 death fictional. come on fictional yeah okay just to, cl- just to clarify <laughs> um i think uh we won't do uh any patron shout outs in this episode just doesn't feel right no i i maybe you might not want this to be the episode i see yeah you don't want in the in the anti-semitic one yeah yeah exactly yeah that's fair yeah um it would be interesting actually to hear what people uh think about this um i'm very aware that we have just broadcast anti-semitic material but i hope that kind of in the analysis and the chat afterwards it has kind of helped kind of contextualize that and um explore that side of the Grimm's legacy a bit more um but I mean if you think we shouldn't have done it let us know well yeah Um, exactly I hope it justifies it as well yeah because it's worth talking about but anyway thanks for listening it's going to be a lot more fun next time I can't wait guaranteed Matt I can't even remember what the next story is it's a little number called I I don't remember either (laughs) (laughs) what is it called so fried. Let's have a look. The little peasant. The little peasant. The little peasant. Well, hold up. We've just read about a little peasant. I know, right? I told you it's weirdly similar. That's strange. Patron chosen story as well. Yes. And actually, I think the good bargain lost in a patron poll once, which is Did good. <laughs> which Absolutely. is very good. Yeah. But yeah. Recompense. Well, I'm not going to say it's been fun, but it's, I've enjoyed hanging out. And that part has been nice. And thanks again to Rachel for helping out with the episode. That was lovely. Well, we'll catch you soon for The Little Peasant. I look very much forward to it. Until then, keep it grim. Keep it grim. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at grimreading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading, and we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim. <laughs>